On this eve of Thanksgiving, I'd like to give a talk on gratitude. The Buddha taught that there are two rare and precious types of human beings in this world. The first, you've heard a lot of talk about, the first is a benefactor, one who has shown us or shows other beings or other human beings any kind of kindness or respect. The other type of rare and precious kind of human being is one who is able to receive the kindness, one who is grateful. So tonight I'd like to talk about that second type of rare and precious human being in this world, one who can live in gratefulness in this world. And also, I'd like to talk about what prevents this experience of gratitude in our life. Gratitude is one of the most important and powerful spiritual emotions because we usually experience gratitude as a result of some deep understanding into the interdependence of all of life. We understand on a very deep level the interconnectedness of all of life. And this understanding brings about this experience of gratitude. To experience gratitude is one of the greatest blessings in our life. Because even though life isn't easy, we can actually expand beyond ourselves, beyond the sense of being separate and independent, to the experience of interdependence and touch the truth of not being alienated or separate. The result of this is a grateful heart. In the Buddhist cosmology, there are many planes of existence, 31 planes of existence. And it's important to reflect on the vastness of existence and that the human realm is really so small an aspect of this vastness. So human beings are fifth. Uh, There's many beings in the uh, many realms above us, below us. The climax of this gratitude, this experience of gratitude, is to be able to feel related to all beings in the vastness of the universe including our own species. I think sometimes it can be the hardest. (laughs) The closer you get, (laughs) the harder it can get sometimes. The more we can understand and appreciate the importance of gratitude in our life, 
whether it's an easy time or whether it's a difficult time, the more uh, meaning and purpose and happiness will grow out of the gratefulness that we experience. So on the eve of this American holiday of Thanksgiving, I wanted to talk about gratitude to help you get in touch with reflecting about what thankfulness is or what gratitude is. We learned this celebration of gratitude from the native people that lived here when the first people from Europe arrived here. There were many people living here already who had developed a very uh, deep spiritual understanding of what gratitude is. And we adopted this holiday from them. And this holiday grew out of our a relationship of dependence on the native people and animals and other beings who lived here when people arrived. Uh, So it's a holiday that is meant to bring an understanding that we're dependent on our survival, uh, on our relationship with all beings who we share this land with. And if you look at what is traditionally on a plate tomorrow, when there is this ritual of giving thanks, it's usually all of the native plants and animals are uh, represented there, whether it's squash or cranberries or blueberries or turkeys, uh, (laughs) chestnuts, corn, pumpkin. These are all uh, native plants. Potatoes are from Peru. They're all American native plants or beings. So not only did we learn this ritual of celebrating our dependence on life from the people here, but we also have adapted the spiritual understanding of this holiday as well as the actual physical taking of the nourishment. We learned to give thanks to the earth and all the beings that sustain us. We give thanks for the spiritual understanding, the gift of the gratitude itself. What can be a bit shocking is how little understanding our culture has uh, for what we received from the native people living here. You know, there's so many levels to what we learned, and there's not (laughs) so much gratitude for what we have learned. It's starting with these generations that are coming, which is uh, nice to experience. It's a gift to be able to experience that gratitude. It's important for 
us as a culture to move from a kind of belief system in valuing being independent as opposed to interdependent. Uh, It will help us in the years to come as we get more crowded. Not only did we adapt the understanding of how to survive here and and receive the nourishment from the, the land, the plants, the beings here, and not only did we adapt the spiritual understanding of gratitude, but we also have received the effect of the ancestral spirits that have lived here. Years ago, I read a quotation from Carl Jung, who said that in regard to Native people all over the planet, that a race of people, he said that a race of people can never conquer another race of people because the spirits of those supposedly conquered will enter the hearts of the children of those who did the conquering when their children are born. Sometimes it requires repetition (laughs) to get it. It's uh, a race of people can never conquer another race of people because the spirit of those supposedly conquered the spirits of those supposedly conquered will enter the hearts of the children of those who did the conquering when the children are born. So in some way there really isn't a, you know, from Jung's perspective, an ability to really conquer a race because the ancestral spirits will always take birth in the children. And my experience when I was a child, very much felt like this. When I was young, the human world didn't feel very safe, and for me, nature was my ally in many ways. And I felt this connection with the ancestral native spirits around the place where I lived. And I was very lucky to live on a lake where there was a path around the whole lake that Uh, Native people had walked for many years before I was born. And I felt that I was um, protected by these ancestral spirits and guided. I used to love to walk the old paths and the forests and the fields. And I felt very blessed, even at that point in my life, for that gift. And from that experience in childhood, I learned that no matter how painful the human world can be, that if you take the time to be in nature and to be still, one can find a deeper place of harmony than that pain. In the native cultures that we have inherited here in this country, 
and there's a deep appreciation for silence and stillness and solitude and vision, simplicity, ceremony. There are over 300 native tribes that we share this land with. And although a lot of the spiritual traditions were uh, suppressed, they weren't destroyed. And we have a very deep heritage that we can uh, open to and be grateful for. We can start to value the teaching that I've seen more and more in my opening to the native teachings that the the thing they stress more than anything is the experience of gratitude. This emphasis on this gratitude reflects this profound understanding of the interconnectedness of all of life. There's this understanding that every breath we take, every breath we take, every step we take, every mouthful of food we eat is really a sharing of earth, air, fire, water. You know, it's not some esoteric teaching, but it's really grounded in our experience in the moment over and over. When we can tune into this uh, incredible universal give and take, reciprocity, this incredible changing process of life. Every breath we take can be like a prayer. There's a sense that we understand with each breath that we're utterly connected with all of life, that we share everything. And it's really a very deep vulnerability that comes from opening to this interdependence, this, this dependence that we have on life. Interdependence is a fundamental law of life. This year I spent a lot of time with a Lakota creation myth. Which it's the Lakota Sioux is a tribe, a native tribe here in this country, and they have probably one of the most beautiful creation myths uh, on the planet. And in the myth, the people in the tribe, in their spiritual journey, are constantly tested for two things over and over in their life. They're tested for generosity and they're tested for kindness. And those are the qualities that the teachers look for in the people to see if that person will be a spiritual teacher. Within that testing, this constant testing for generosity and kindness, it's important for a person to understand who is wise and who is a trickster. And uh, there's a deeper and deeper understanding that the trickster plays uh, with our weaknesses. In getting to know the Hawaiian culture more and more, what touches me the most is their celebration of life. 
their songs are all about um, everyone helping each other. And this celebration of life means there's this deep understanding that life itself is a gift. When we understand that life is a gift, gratefulness becomes the measure for our wakefulness. Gratefulness, the experience of gratefulness, is the measure of our wakefulness. Stephen and I once saw a movie called The Jerk. (laughs) Um, And at (laughs) at the end of it, there was this section that was really uh, funny, uh, which had a a fight between a husband and a wife that had been married for a long time. And I don't know if you've had this experience of fighting with a mate but a partner, but there'll be this sense where the person, one person will say, I don't need you. I don't need anything. You know, those are the dramatic fights. I don't need anything and kind of walking out to leave, you know, and slam the door. And so this movie was making fun of this kind of fighting that we all do in one way or another. And so uh, the person, Steve Martin, who was acting this out, would grab anything on his way out the door and he'd say, I don't need anything. I don't need you. I just need these. I just need this bell handle, you know, <laughs> and then he'd hold that and then he'd go, I don't need you, I don't need anything, I just need this bell handle and these matches, and then he'd walk out and he'd say, I don't need anything, I don't, and it was just hysterical, he was carrying this armful of matches and ashtrays and a lamp, and, <laughs> and it was totally things that he didn't need, you know, absolutely things that we need. So Steve and I have been joking with this this little <laughs> comedy, and we'll joke, and I'll I'll go in the bathroom and I'll say, I don't need anything, I don't need anything but this water coming out of the sink, and I don't need anything but my toothbrush, and I don't need anything but my toothpaste, and and I just start making this list, and the toilet paper, <laughs> anything but my pillow, and my if you even take five minutes. It's incredible how much we need. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> yeah, and we've been playing it in different situations, whether it's dinner time or morning. I don't need anything but my cup of tea. I don't need anything but, you know, my cereal. I don't need. It's just, it's amazing what it takes to sustain life. You know, it's incredible. So that's our joke: is that's all I need. <laughs> I don't need anything. We act like we don't need much. Um, But we need, we need each other so much. We need, it's simple things, but it really helps us to just take five minutes a day and see how much we're dependent on. Aging doesn't guarantee maturity. (laughs) One of the most, (laughs) unfortunately, (laughs) one of the most important signs of spiritual maturity in a person is that they experience more and more 
uh, of this gratitude. One of the reasons that I love being on retreat is that there's so much more time to appreciate things. You know, it's like when you take the meal tomorrow and you realize how much energy the staff has put into the food. You know, it's like we can get into all these difficult states on retreat, uh, but sometimes it's helpful to just tune into how much people are giving to make this possible. And it's not just this moment, but like I was saying, if you take any five minutes of your life and really see how much we need, even if you see how much happens within a breath, you know, how much earth, air, fire, water is sustaining us, never mind the human connection. What is it that prevents us from this experience of gratefulness? The Buddha taught uh, ten armies of Mara. The last three of the ten he gave to what he called conceit. And he divided conceit into three armies of Mara. The first is feeling worthless, self-deprecation. The second aspect of conceit of these, you know, three armies of Mara is the desire for reverence or fame or gain. And the last is the uh, typical definition of conceit is arrogance or self-importance. The Buddha taught a threefold conceit. He taught uh, that feeling equal or feeling inferior or feeling superior are all an aspect of conceit. So there's the I am the, I am the equal idea, I am better, or I am worse, I'm no good. You know, we often think that I'm feeling better is the only kind of conceit, but it's any self-referencing, any comparing, that we do is conceit. The Buddha taught that it was only in overcoming these three kinds of conceit that we've put an end to suffering. And it's not considered to be um, over with. It, this kind, these three kinds of conceit don't vanish until we're fully enlightened. Which it's pretty amazing. Um, it's important not to underestimate the power of conceit in ourselves. It's based on that we don't understand fully that we're not separate. You know, any self-referencing, any comparing, any sense that we're a separate I is how we will feel equal or feel superior or feel worthless. Upandita once said that if we see this mind and body clearly, there's no possibility for conceit. (laughs) (laughs) One of the ways that I've seen it's possible to find a deep balance between the extremes of inflation, self-importance, or deflation, 
self-condemning or feeling horribly no good is discovering gratitude within us because the experience of gratefulness will give us the strength to let go of any of these aspects of comparing ourselves with others. One of the characteristics of conceit is that it destroys gratitude in us. Ingratitude is when we aren't able to remember in the past or receive in the present any kindness that's been shown to us, which includes anything that we've received. We very often forget the preciousness of life itself. You know, that we forget that the Buddha taught that even being born in the human realm is considered so auspicious, so important for spiritual practice, the best place to do spiritual practice. It's really good karma (laughs) to be a human being. You know, and we can just sometimes reflect on that, that that's a blessing in itself. When we can't feel grateful, the experience is one of feeling disconnected and separate from life. And it's that actual being disconnected from the truth that we're not separate that's so painful. And ingratitude is really painful because the heart is closed. And it's that closed heart that hurts so much. So this, the extreme from self-pity to self-glory, these, these two poles of conceit are actually deep uh, masquerades uh, for insecurity. When we develop understanding of life through the practice, uh, the gratitude will come from understanding life on deeper and deeper levels. And that gratefulness is the antidote to the conceit. So one way we can understand um, the experience of gratitude is to understand the interconnectedness of all of life. One of the, the first type of rare and precious human being, the benefactor, reflecting on any of the benefactors in our life is another way to uh, experience gratitude. A benefactor is someone who's touched us in some way. It could be a friend or a teacher or a parent. It can be other beings, chickadees in the back. You know, it's like you can know the times when you felt really disconnected and in the darkness and the moment when something, some being or some person touches your heart or some deva. Uh, when the, the heart is touched, there's that connection again. It pulls us out of feeling alone. And that, that's the kindness. That's the lifeline. That's metta. It helps us 
uh, have the courage to keep going on with our life. The reason for this is that the need for love or connection is at the very core of our, not only of our life, but of our survival. Humans, no matter how skillful or capable we are, are totally dependent on others. Especially when we're young or we're old or sick, we really need other human beings. Babies will die without human affection. And sometimes if our life has been hard, one can reflect on the fact that one is still here. (laughs) You know, there's somehow, you know, there's been some basic survival needs met, and that's a lot. It takes a lot to support our human being, whether it's just warmth, You know, not human warmth, but just temperature warmth or coolness, depending on where you live, or food, or shelter, education. We can feel grateful for our life, that we're still alive. Sometimes when we teach metta, there can be a kind of sadness for the difficulty for people in the West to think of benefactors. So I like to talk of other beings in um, this category, just to keep in mind that we have many elders that we share the planet with that aren't necessarily human. What touched me once a few years ago I saw a poster that said, Last Song. And it was a picture of a wolf, a beautiful wolf, howling. And at the bottom of the poster it said, Can we not learn from our elders? And then it said, Wolf, 30 million years old. Whale, 50 million years old. Loon, 160 million years old. We don't often think of these beings as our elders, but, you know, we've not been here very long in comparison. You know, they are our elders. And I like to imagine what a retreat here would be like without the chipmunks. Or the chickadees, or the nuthatches, or the snakes, or the flies, or the deer, or the, or the turkeys. There's so many beings that uh, we share this place with that really touch us and help us move out of our um, disconnection. So we have many elders on the planet, as well as human elders. Last night I was driving back from a town nearby here, uh, and a huge buck walked out in front of the car (laughs) as I was driving along. 
a little bit too quickly. And I swerved over to the other lane, and then a car was coming, and then I swerved back. And I just missed this magnificent being. Uh, And it was such a wonderful uh, message to take care, slow down. I can't imagine, you know, living in this world without these beings. You know, so much of my life, it's what's helped me come out of my sense of feeling disconnected. So it can be helpful to reflect on any being or anyone uh, that touches our heart, shows us kindness. This is what this uh, category of benefactor means, the rare and precious type of being. If we can think of a human being or any being that touches our heart in this way, we can feel grateful for being grateful. Because the experience is such a deep spiritual experience. It may not be an elder, uh, could be a child, just to reflect on what it is that touches our heart. (coughs) I'd like to read a poem by Pablo Neruda. Sometimes I run into poems and they stay with me for a long time. And this poem has been with me uh, every day this year. As a little background, a friend of mine called from Hawaii today and I told her I was going to do a talk on gratitude. So I asked her what, just in that moment, she was grateful for. And she said that she was really grateful for the Veil of Delusion. (laughs) And I said, why? And she said, it makes my day-to-day life seem much more, much less overwhelming. So she was really experiencing gratefulness for delusion. (laughs) It's helpful to keep in mind that we can feel grateful for surprising things. Uh, this book is called The Sea and the Bells, and it was uh, the last book that Pablo Neruda died before he, uh, wrote before he died. <laughs> I am grateful, violins, for this day of four chords. Pure is the sound of the sky, the blue voice of air. A last poem. Last poems are powerful. I am grateful, violins, for this day of four chords. Pure is the sound of the sky, the blue voice of air. It's so pure. 
You know, when I first read that, for days when I would walk outside and look at the sky, I would think, oh, it's such a wonderful image to hear the voice of the sky. You know, this uh, shifting of sense doors. Uh, I think that when we're in retreat, we can really appreciate uh, the purity of this. One can hear in it the purity of awareness. So sometimes we can be grateful for delusion, and sometimes we can be grateful for this purity. And to be able to contemplate something like the vastness of the sky and to be able to hear it. When we're on retreat, we get so silent, we can hear the blue voice of the sky. It's important to understand there's another part of a poem that I remember uh, that I read when I was young where someone said, it was a Chinese poet, the blue of the sky touches my clothes. It's, it's just this very simple sense of the interdependence of things and how deeply we really do affect each other. A sky, wind, breath, water. The stars affect us, and we affect them deeply. When we start to get quiet enough to listen to things like the blue voice of air, we can start to see that not taking life for granted is a very important practice. And today I got a letter from someone who I have a very funny relationship with, I bought a car from him in 1974. I think I met him for maybe five minutes or ten minutes. And every year we send each other a birthday card. (laughs) And I wouldn't know this person if he came in and sat here right now. Uh, But every year we have this little correspondence. (laughs) And today he wrote me, that his dad died uh, three weeks ago and that he had been caring for his father for the last two years uh, constantly at home. And he expressed this beautiful gratefulness for the time that he had with his father and the, the teaching that his father's life had become for him in this time. And he described this um, process, this difficult, marvelous process of going through uh, a dying with his father. And he ended the letter by saying, just to be is holy, just to live is a blessing. Just to be is holy, just to be is a blessing. You know, it's so poignant to face death, especially of a parent. Um, and yet, it brings us so much life. It, it helps us to experience the preciousness of life when we get that close to death. Uh, for me, my mother's death when I was young 
motivated me to search uh, for understanding in a way that was um, <laughs> kind of like being electrocuted. So, I mean, it had a power that has affected me my whole life. The awareness of our own mortality or other beings' mortality, the fact that anything that takes birth passes away, uh, including me, and that we never know when it's going to happen, uh, helps us to be motivated to understand life. It's the awakener. (laughs) You know, the awareness of death wakes us up more than anything. My first spiritual friend was a woman that lived across the street from me. And when my mother died, she mirrored for me my yearning to understand. And that, that's what a spiritual friend, you know, this is the benefactor category. A spiritual friend is a mirror for us. They help us uh, listen to our motivation to understand life. They encourage us to grow spiritually. The Dalai Lama said that, I believe no one is born free of the need for love. But what happens if in our life or in others' lives uh, there is a lot of deprivation? Some years ago, Adrienne Rich wrote a book of poems, and in it she had, in part of the poem, some of the prison letters of George Jackson, who was killed in a prison riot in Attica, New York. And he had spent 10 years in prison and seven years in solitary. He was a brilliant man. And this is part of a letter he wrote, and it's, it expresses this, what the Dalai Lama said about our human need for kindness, our sensitivity to kindness. The significant feature of the desperate man reveals itself when he meets other desperate men, and he experiences his first kindness someone to strain with him, to strain to see him as he strains to see himself. To strain to see him as he strains to see himself. Someone to understand, someone to accept the love that desperation forces into hiding. Those feelings that find no expression in desperate times store themselves up in great abundance, ripen, strengthen, and strain the walls of the repository to the utmost. Where the kindred spirit touches this wall, the wall crumbles. No one responds to kindness. No one is more sensitive to kindness than the desperate man.
I think sometimes when we do the metta practice in this culture and there has been a history of deprivation, which uh, a lot of people in our culture have, there can be a feeling of grief that when you touch the metta, it's like all the times that one hasn't experienced metta surface. You know, there's this contrast and deep grief. And, and this, what comes out of that is a deepening appreciation of kindness. You know, when we can have the metta touch us and, and really reflect on the times when we haven't haven't received kindness. What can be transformed in that is the understanding, as George Jackson says, that no one appreciates kindness more than someone who hasn't received it much. You know, so it doesn't have to be something that leads to a feeling of worthlessness, which uh, can happen. Uh, but it can help us to start to appreciate the moments when we do appreciate, when we do receive kindness, and it helps us appreciate it more and more. When I sat a retreat a couple of years ago, there were these uh, times where these black holes of feeling totally unlovable and worthless started to surface for me. And these were feelings that I had run from my whole life. Uh, and it, it felt good to finally have the strength to go into those black holes and experience the deprivation. Uh, it, but it was really hard. And there were two things that helped me through that period. One was uh, Stephen gave me this small rock that we had gotten when we were in Africa. And it's a smooth, deep red rock. And when I would walk around, uh, I would just hold the rock. And it would help me uh, remember that I didn't have to feel disconnected anymore. You know, that there was that connection to a human being. And then a friend of mine had given me a handkerchief that was so wonderful. It had butterflies embroidered on the ends, all the all four corners. And I, when I would cry into the handkerchief, I would see these butterflies. And it was really wonderful to see, like, these tears kept transforming into this, you know, this tears of feeling so deprived and disconnected, changed to this, you know, gratefulness for the connection. And when I thought about talking about gratitude tonight, you know, what I've been experiencing the last years was, is a real sense of gratefulness for human connection. Uh, and it's such a healing from having, for so many years, only having had felt the uh, connection with ancestral spirits or devas or um, other beings. Metta, or kindness, is a lifeline for us and it helps us to realize that we grow in connection 
We don't grow in isolation. We can't make it without relationship, without this interdependence on each other. It's hard to get to the vulnerability to this experience where we need each other very deeply. You know, sometimes in the community of a three-month retreat, there's all kinds of, you know, difficulties in living together. Uh, But ultimately, we all need each other. We're all teaching each other. Gratitude, when it's very deep, is inclusive. It includes human beings, it includes the devas and goddesses and gods, and it includes all the other beings. And it requires an understanding, the understanding of being able to open to the pain in the world as well as the pleasure. Several years ago, during the Persian Gulf War, uh, my nephew was in the Marines at that time and was uh, sent to the Persian Gulf War. And he is someone that I raised in his early life, so he's like a son for me. So it was very difficult for me to have him over there in the front lines. He was the one who put up the uh, flag in the Kuwaiti airport at the end, so he was sort of in the front all the way. And it was shattering for him. One of the teachings that I had at that time was trying to send metta to uh, George Bush and Saddam Hussein. (laughs) You know, they were like my difficult... (laughs) category. <laughs> and it, it, was wa- it was very interesting for me to watch the conditional love happen versus the unconditional love. So I would send Metta to Saddam Hussein and George Bush uh, if they would stop the war. You know, it was just watching myself over and over again try to break down the barrier. And I'd have their image and I'd be saying Metta and there'd be this little if. <laughs> There was always this if, 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 and once in a while it would shift to, okay, you know, it's okay, just the way it is. And I accepted what was happening. And then with my nephew, it would be the same thing. I'd be sending metta to him, and there'd be this if he comes back alive, if he doesn't die. You know, it was really hard. You know, it was just day after day after day, facing my own barriers uh, to this unconditional love. And the process that I went through uh, was very difficult because I kept imagining when he got back, if he got back, you know, and as we got closer to him coming back, my worst scenario um, was that he would be totally closed down and shut down. And then another horrible scenario would be that he enjoyed it. Uh, And I just 
you know, had to keep waiting, waiting, waiting. And I went to see him when he got off the plane. And it was uh, one of the most powerful moments of my life. Uh, It was like he had been transformed. It was like an angel had gotten off the plane and I was in the presence of an angel. And I I couldn't make the connection between my image of what would happen in war to this uh, being that got off the plane. And I could see in his eyes that he had been shattered, just completely shattered. And in a way, like, I hadn't, I hadn't expected that scenario. And it was such a shock, you know, I just barely held it together, but I knew I had to hold it together for him. And when I was talking with him over the next hours, you know, he just start he just start shaking uncontrollably for you know minutes and minutes, and tears would just start streaming down his eyes, and you know, I was just trying to imagine what it was like. You know, I could only imagine what it's like on retreat. You know, for uh, you know days and days and days, but he was over there eight months. You know, no break. <laughs> It's really hard to imagine if you haven't been through something like that. And to see what he saw. And the hardest thing for him was in seeing when they started to go in um, across the border, all the people that were surrendering. You know, it's like their vulnerability is what eventually just shattered him. And it was very hard to imagine that he could be transformed through this. But I keep staying in touch with him, and I just see this gratefulness coming. You know, it's like he's grateful for anything he's given. He's grateful. It's like this gratefulness machine. Uh, (laughs) uh, So sometimes we need to get shattered. It's not something that uh, we would wish for anybody, but like a death, coming close to a death, shatters us. Awareness of mortality, you know, it's like it's something that the heart can't bear. And then we move into a transformation where we really deeply understand the preciousness of life. That life is a gift. We're at a precarious balance on the earth now. You know, it's hard to know how difficult it will get, but it's like a lot of people will get shattered in the process of the growing difficulty. And in this, in this difficulty as humans on the planet and all beings, can we appreciate life? You know, it's really important. It's important for us to be able to go through the difficulties and then come to this place of appreciation and depth, some place deeper, deeper than the pain, deeper than the difficulty. Gratefulness is the measure of our mindfulness. It's the gratefulness of our, it's the measure of our awareness.
the deepest moments of gratitude often appear when we have deep experiences of anatta. I think that you've all had times on the retreat where you might really touch the sense, you know, that there is no separate me, that we are just a constantly changing process that's totally interconnected. And touching the truth is often followed by just tears of joy. You know, that the experience of gratitude, it usually comes with tears. It's so profound, this touching of the truth. Or being able to receive anything. It might be a memory of being given something in some way. And it might be a memory of a friend that just touched us in some way. But that moment where we can be grateful for that is everything. No matter how difficult life is, Gratitude restores harmony. If we're out of balance, if we can go to the deep place of appreciation or gratitude, um, this gratitude returns us to a relationship of harmony with ourselves, with our species, with our environment, and with all beings. So I'd like to end with a quotation from the Navajo. It's a Navajo night chant that I love a lot. And think of the practice that you're doing when I read this. House made of dawn house made of evening light, house made of the dark cloud, house made of male rain, house made of dark mist, house made of female rain, house made of pollen, house made of grasshoppers. Restore my feet for me. Restore my legs for me. Restore my body for me. Restore my mind for me. Restore my voice for me. Happily I recover. Happily I go forth. No longer sore may I walk. With lively feelings may I walk. Happily may I walk. Happily on a trail of pollen may I walk. Happily may I walk. May it be beautiful before me. May it be beautiful behind me. May it be beautiful below me. May it be beautiful above me. May it be beautiful all around me. In beauty, it is finished. In beauty, it is finished. So in whatever way in this evening and tomorrow that you're touched by 
in any way by this reflection on gratitude because of this holiday of Thanksgiving. Um, In some moments during the day, maybe reflect on any of the things that you're grateful for. Let's sit for a few minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.